welcome to The Burn-Up, where I discuss all things Agile with colleagues, clients, and industry leaders. We will be giving you an honest take on tools and techniques, we'll share our experiences, debunk myths, and hopefully provide valuable inspiration. I'm Marcel Bridge, digital consultant, product owner, and business analyst. I've worked in digital before this even had a name, and since have been quite a bit around the blog. I've seen the good and the bad, and this is my way of giving back to the industry. So sit back, relax, and settle in for this week's episode. Welcome back to The Burn Up. In this episode, Michael D. Frick and I continue our discussion of the Chinese cybersecurity regime. In this episode, we'll specifically talk about the regulations that protect Chinese networks and information systems. Two closely connected subsystems of China's cybersecurity regime aim directly at maintaining security in these areas critical information infrastructure and multi-level protection. As these two are very confusing and quite complex, I thought it might be good to precede our discussion with a short summary. As its name suggests, the multi-level protection scheme differentiates amongst networks by assigning them different levels of sensitivity and network operators must implement protection measures according to their sensitivity classification. As you'll remember from our first episode on Chinese cybersecurity, Every technology organization operating in China is likely to be a network operator. As we've discussed, there are five levels of network sensitivity, and the lower levels are fairly easy to satisfy in terms of regulatory requirements, whereas the upper levels, especially level five, are quite elusive. Despite their contemporary connection, the multi-level protection system had existed for several years before regulators started to establish the Critical Information Infrastructure Security Protection System. The multi-level protection system requires network operators to engage in various activities called security control points that contribute to reaching the overall goal of cybersecurity by hitting certain strategic objectives such as secure boundaries, stable operations, sound management structures, secure communication networks, and competent security personnel. So none of these should come as a surprise to everyone who works in compliance, info or OPSEC. The second mechanism or subsystem, Critical Information Infrastructure Protection, complements and in part is based on multi-level protection. One of the central new features of the Critical Information Infrastructure Security Protection System is the requirement to organize a cybersecurity review for network products and services that may impact national security. So this will impact any organization that either operates in this space or sells products and services to organizations that operate in an area of national security. So here is the thing, compared to multi-level protection, cybersecurity reviews are highly opaque without detailed evaluation standards and guidelines. This black box design allows the ad hoc application of cybersecurity reviews in the various regulatory areas. Accordingly, cybersecurity reviews have become the instrument of choice used by Chinese regulators whenever they believe that interference is necessary. In general, these reviews pursue a wide range of goals, such as preventing or alleviating supply chain disruptions, espionage, the abuse of user dependencies, unapproved data outflows, and the reliance on high-tech imports. Join Michael and I now in our discussion on Chinese critical information infrastructure and multi-level protection. So, Michael, we, um, this is the third time we're speaking about the Chinese cybersecurity regime. Last time we spoke about internet content management, kind of what we think about uh, censorship. What are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about two systems that take a general approach to cybersecurity protection. And these two systems are multi-level protection and critical information infrastructure protection. 
However, I think that this distinction between multi-level protection and critical information infrastructure protection is actually misleading. It's uh, flawed. A much better distinction would be a standard-based system and a non-standard-based system. So the multi-level protection system is clearly a system based on standards. And what that means is that it's much more hardwired. You know, companies or network operators that need to comply with Chinese regulations, they can just look up these standards and then uh, go from there. There are, the, there are rules and requirements written in there, and then you just follow them. However, I also want to um, make a point here that even in the standard-based system, you have a lot of vague approval rules and murky implementation specifications. So it's not that hardwired. It's just more hardwired than the non-standard-based system. And how do I know which one I fall under? Basically, they overlap. You fall under both, so to speak. Well, the critical information infrastructure system is the one that is, of course, only for networks that have higher sensitivity, those that are related to national security, whereas the multi-level protection system is a more holistic approach that covers all networks, also the less sensitive ones. So regarding critical information infrastructure protection, you fall under both regimes. When you only have uh, um, yeah, a simple network that is not related to, um, to national security, for example, an internal uh, human resource management network or something like that, then you you would not fall under the critical information infrastructure protection system. But regarding the higher level systems, you fall under both regimes. Yeah. So what is important here is to know what is critical information infrastructure. And this has a very broad reach. So you might fall under this system quite, quite often. It includes like public communication, information services, power production, traffic, water resources, finance, and other important industries and sectors. And that's very typical for Chinese regulations. They often use these non-limiting formulations like uh, ETC or including but not limited to or other important industries and sectors. So you basically never really know whether you belong to that kind of category. But what is also important for suppliers, they need to undergo for example, special reviews when they sell to a critical information infrastructure operator. So it's not only about whether you are one of those, it's about whether you sell to such a critical information infrastructure um, operator. And in general, the definition of critical information infrastructure has become more and more decentralized and more sector specific. So it's the local industry associations that determine and the local enforcement departments, they determine what critical information infrastructure actually is. I mean, first of all, you have to make a self-assessment and sort of uh, find out whether you belong to that category or whether your customers belong to that category. And um, yeah, and then you have to, yeah, together with the relevant agencies, you have to categorize your infrastructure, whether it's whether it belongs to these more sensitive networks, the critical information infrastructure networks, or whether it's a less sensitive uh, network that does not uh, belong to that sensitive critical information infrastructure category. So you mentioned these standard and non-standard protection systems. And can we just talk a little bit more about what the difference is and what that consequently then means? 
you have to comply with both systems, the standard-based and the non-standard-based system. The thing is that the non-standard-based systems, which is basically the cybersecurity review regime, is uh, mainly targeting critical information infrastructure. So it only applies when you either sell uh, high-tech products to a critical information infrastructure operator or when you um, are a critical information infrastructure operator yourself. So the interesting thing is the multi-level protection system has existed for many years before the inception of the critical information protection system with its cybersecurity reviews. So why was it necessary to put a non-standard based system, the cybersecurity reviews, on top of the multi-level protection system that is uh, standard based? And the answer to this is quite simple. When you have a standard-based system, you have to follow the standards to, um, to comply. And these standards do not always yield the desired results. So whenever regulators believe that it's necessary to interfere with a network or information system, but the standards do not provide the necessary tools to make such an interference, they usually resort to this non-standard-based system, the cybersecurity reviews to make such an interference. To better understand this non-standard-based cybersecurity review system that is part of the critical information infrastructure protection system, you have to look at what goals are pursued by implementing this system. Uh, its inception was about in 2017, and it started to evolve from there. And in that time, one of the main reasons to use this non-standard-based cybersecurity review regime was to ensure national security protection by evaluating or by scrutinizing the products and services that are procured by critical information infrastructure operators. One of the goals that they are pursuing is to avoid espionage. So it's not a coincidence that the cybersecurity review regime was announced shortly after the Snowden revelations. The thing that caused great outrage in China regarding the Snowden revelations was not just um, that the NSA conducted espionage. It was much more that this was facilitated by products that were supplied by companies that also supplied the Chinese government. For example, Cisco is a famous example. They provided mirror routers for the Great Firewall. And of course, when you sell such highly sensitive products to two fiercely competing uh, nations, that's not a conflict-free uh, proposition. And um, therefore, the Chinese started to use these cybersecurity reviews to make sure that such products don't have any backdoors or covered channels or things like that. And at best, you know, they rather procure them domestically instead of relying on, on foreign products there. Another thing that they are trying to avoid with these, uh, with this non-standard based cybersecurity review system is uh, supply chain disruptions. The Trump administration demanded to cut off supplies to Chinese uh, high-tech companies and they couldn't produce their products. And those kind of supply chain disruptions are supposed to be avoided as well. Then there's the outflow of data. Uh, in the first podcast, I brought that Didi example. That was the Chinese uh, ride-hailing giant that made an IPO in, in the US. And that's also an example where cybersecurity reviews were used to avoid 
or to punish someone who, who was responsible for an, a large outflow of important data. Then another thing that is very important that they try to avoid with these uh, cybersecurity reviews is the abuse of user dependencies. When you buy a certain product or service from a high-tech provider, you're highly committed to this uh, provider. The provider can use such a dependency to coerce you into renewing or upgrading or can cut off supplies and uh, build up pressure on you. And all of these things are supposed to be avoided by conducting these uh, cybersecurity reviews. And the standard-based systems, such as multi-level protection or standard-based CI, critical information infrastructure protection, they do not always provide the tools to justify such interference. And therefore, they put a non-standard-based system on top in addition to the standard-based multi-level protection system. They are also administered by one government agency, of course, in cooperation with other government agencies, but one government agency takes the lead here, and that's the Ministry of Public Security, whereas the non-standard-based system, which is the cybersecurity review regime, that is administered by the Cyberspace Administration of China. Who settles disputes or inconsistencies, if there are any, between those two? As of now, I would say most of the inconsistencies uh, prevail. They are not being settled. Uh, they, they still exist. You know, there is a lot of inconsistency also regarding laws and regulations. And of course, some of these inconsistencies are, are caused by these um, turf wars between these big enforcement and rulemaking agencies. But whenever these conflicts sort of get out of hand, then there are superordinate agencies. One very famous mechanism or widely used mechanism are the so-called central leading groups. They are usually uh, put together by combining high representatives from uh, different ministries. And um, one of the most important and most powerful institutions in this cybersecurity field is the Central Cyberspace Affairs Commission. And this used to be a central leading group and it was upgraded to a commission, I think about uh, two years ago. It's actually headed by Xi Jinping personally. And uh, there you can see how important cybersecurity protection in China actually is, how high they value cybersecurity protection when they actually place it to the apex of China's uh, power hierarchy. So what I've seen here in the EU with regulations, I mean, GDPR was a classic one. A, on one hand, I think some of the policymakers have really no understanding of technology, certainly not of the implications, and B, because of the EU being what the EU is, that things that may start well, then get, just get watered down and diluted and become in parts totally meaningless or bloated because of too many parties, too many people talking into it. Everyone has to be kept happy. Is, is that different in China because of the way that it's a one party system and everything is a little bit more structured? I mean, you said at the same time, there are multiple agencies that contribute to these things. I think it has one advantage, and that is that it's a paternalistic system that, you know, allows this kind of uh, top-down management of creating uh, such uh, regulations. And within, and uh, of course, 
that kind of uh, approach, that authoritarian approach, of course, allows you to react rather fast. They can create new laws and then and new regulations. And when they don't fit them very well, they, they just sweep them under the table. They also don't fear so much that they might backfire. When it comes to Europe, of course, it's more, uh, it's not a paternalistic system, it's more a rule of law system where uh, yeah, when you create a regulation that in the end does not prove to be beneficial, it's really hard to get rid of that regulation. You know, you, as a company, when you sort of suffered from that regulation, you can go to, to court and um, start uh, objecting and maybe you get, uh, get a compensation for that. Of course, all of that does not really exist in China. And therefore, they are much more easy on throwing out new regulations and constantly revising them. And they don't really um, have to fear uh, the, the consequences of possible missteps. Just maybe to recap a little bit, because as you said, this is super complicated and complex and it's the terminology and the different agencies. So can we just do a little bit of a, of a recap? And, you know, those two systems when do they apply and which one is the one that companies have to, I guess, worry about most? Well, of course, multi-level protection is what you encounter every day, so to speak. Uh, that covers all kinds of networks, not, not just the critical information infrastructure networks. So it covers also the, the less sensitive networks and therefore the non-standard based system, the review system, which only aims at critical information infrastructures is something that you do not have to deal with on a daily basis. It's uh, something that only applies when you, for example, sell your AI chips to a water supplier in China that is uh, labeled as a critical information infrastructure. So that does not always touch your day-to-day um, -day, uh, compliance activities. However, the multi-level protection system is something that everybody has to engage in. Every network operator has to first start by classifying its own networks and information systems. So that's a task that everybody is required to do. Not everybody must go through a, a cybersecurity review, but uh, for example, the multi-level protection systems, sensitivity classification of your networks, that's what everybody has to do. But a cybersecurity review, well, I wouldn't call it like a completely unusual exception. That is not the case. The critical information infrastructure concept is a very wide concept, so it applies to a lot of industries and sectors. And um, so therefore, this is not something completely exceptional, but it also is not part of your daily routine as a compliance specialist, so to speak. Can I just ask a little bit more maybe around what that means in practice? So the review, I think we can all understand that's something where if you get deemed to fall under critical, then, yeah, a review. There's people coming around and they will ask for certain types of information. It's an audit effectively. And that, as you said before, all sorts of things can come out of that. And it's not necessarily, um, that's not standardized, right? That's very individual what will happen. But for the more standardized process, so the multi-level protection scheme, does that basically mean as you said, you need to do implement certain things, some which are understood and standardized, some which are a bit more implied, and you just implement them. You do the whatever the right thing is. You do the right thing as per guidance and regulations. 
and you only get into trouble when you don't comply or there is a problem? Or is there any other process that you need to follow where you need to do something and then prove that you have done it? How does that work in practice? Well, first of all, you as the network operator are responsible to um, secure your operations, to secure your systems. And I would say that every company has strong incentive to have uh, secure operations. So most of these things are also done in American companies that, for example, don't have the regulatory environment that forces them to do that. For example, uh, a lot of these regulations, they cover things like encryption. Of course, you want to encrypt your products or, or your, 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 your data exchanges. And then other aspects are authentication or, for example, early warning systems. But there are also a lot of things that are very China-specific. And these are, for example, to ensure the, the fast exchange of cybersecurity-related information with the relevant agencies. And there you really have to, for example, categorize different types of security incidents and then send them to the corresponding agency. And if it's a really serious incident, you have to immediately, you know, maybe within less than 24 hours, you have to provide it to a national security agency. They really integrate the cybersecurity protection process and the administrations that are responsible for ensuring that these processes are actually done and they sort of integrate them into one system. And for that, you need to have, of course, highly efficient uh, information exchange among the companies, the network operators on the one hand and the enforcement agencies on the other. So it's a completely different and very demanding approach with, with a lot of useful requirements and, of course, some, from our perspective, rather questionable requirements and um, of course, and with a completely different setup of an integrated system consisting of network operators and uh, government agencies, test laboratories, um, they sort of all have to work uh, together to get this complex cybersecurity system going. I mean, when you look at the regulations, you think that it's mostly aiming at foreign companies and that it's very highly protectionist and so on. But in practice, I would say it's not even that much. These uh, rules also apply to Chinese companies. And when you look back over the past couple of years, such reviews have been mostly used on Chinese companies, such as, uh, for example, the, the Didi company. I think I should go a bit more into the detail of how you really pass such a review. And you pass it mainly, or one important aspect of passing such a review is showing commitment. Commitment to the Chinese market. And what does commitment in such a review actually say? Well, it, it's probably not just a promise. It's more uh, profound commitments could be like dedicated investments, having large parts of your operations within China, or having your data centers in China and so on. So as soon as you have that, I think that you're pretty much on a level playing field with the domestic uh, competitors. So what the government wants to make sure is that it somehow can have control over you in case your, your company uh, does something wrong or abuses user dependencies or cut off uh, supplies for no justified reason. 
to make sure that your company does not engage in such activities, it's important that you operate under Chinese jurisdiction and that the government knows that in case you do something wrong, that they can interfere. One final question I had then around this, and maybe the answer is you don't know. Where do you think with your long and deep experience with Chinese history, culture, and looking at the economy and the technology and the, the, how it has China has changed over the years, where do you think this is going? Is it going to be more restrictive or more open? Or are you saying, look, I, even I have no idea? Well, I think it, it will be different for each sector, and it already is. For example, last time we talked about online content management or censorship, and of course, in these areas, they are very, very restrictive. Uh, there are almost no social media platforms that are operated by Western companies. And then there are other areas where they are, they are very permissive. So it always depends on whether the product that you're offering or the service that you're offering is related to national security. Then second is how much operations do you have within China? Well, but in general, of course, they are trying to make their own economy stronger. They would prefer to rely on indigenous innovation. They want to capture the higher positions in, in value chains and the more profitable positions. Of course, they have the same interest as we basically. But the thing is that they are probably not sure what will allow them to um, achieve uh, such a um, development. Will it be more restrictions or will it be um, to open to be more open and allow more competition and more foreign investment but i i would say as of now the uh, yeah, the the desire to attract attract foreign investment has never been higher than than at the moment and they are and they also do not force you into joint ventures as they used to you can basically set up your own company there and uh, without having to maybe support uh, a, co a potential competitor in the in the process. So I think that you have great opportunities there and I think these uh, opportunities will, will, will continue to be there. And uh, the Chinese government, if it becomes more restrictive, they know that they're going to scare away um, the Western companies, which they cannot afford to not have in the market. There's absolutely no intention to really to let this protectionism get out of hand. But it's really interesting to follow how this is going to evolve. So I think there are two major tendencies and you don't really know how this is going to play out. It might be that China becomes more protectionist or it might be that they... Uh, try to be a bit more liberal to attract more investment. It, it's not decide, decided yet. As of now, I can only say that when you're a foreign company and the more operations you have within China, I think the more level the playing field is with other Chinese uh, companies. And we'll leave it here. Thank you so much to Michael De Frick for talking with me about Chinese cybersecurity. Details as always in the show notes. That's it for today's episode. For further details, have a look at the show notes in your podcast player or on theburnup.com. 
lean and agile are interesting to you, you may also want to pop by my blog at thedigitalbusinessanalyst.com. I'm very interested in your feedback and ideas and happy to discuss interesting opportunities from consulting to coaching to getting involved in actual projects. For inquiries, please visit theburnup.com. This podcast is produced by Burnup Media Limited under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Non-Derivatives 4.0 license, which means you can share it as long as you give credit, but you cannot change it or make money of it. Until next time, thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you.